Sure. It could be. They could be not. Saul Galvan here as your host alongside Ben Schoenfield and Gavin Carpenter. Gentlemen, how are we doing in this uh, only the second show back for KWVA? Wow. Crazy that we were gone for a month, but we're already back. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I had a bit of a hectic break overall, but was it was pretty good ups and downs, but glad to be back here in Eugene talking sports with the with the guys. Love that. Gavin, what about you? Yeah, no, same for me. Very hectic break, but everything turns out all right. Glad to be back home, but I'm even more glad to be back here talking sports. Really excited for the upcoming term. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it's harder for me to come back from winter break versus summer break. I feel like with summer break, you're just gone for so long that eventually you develop like a habit like man i kind of need to like get back into the groove a little bit like i, I kind of miss school with words winter break we were in the midst of like such a good time period off and then you just like get with hit with a sudden burst of like okay you have to come back i, I don't know as for you guys but that's it for me personally i mean honestly i'm a freshman so we'll yeah, see that's true but that's true honestly i would i would probably agree with that logic um maybe it's different for college too because i know for like high school it was like you get two to three weeks off maybe but we had a whole month off like coming back from a month-long break is like yeah, we had for it's summer. Hard. We had like, oh, I don't know, month and a half, two months. I'd have to think about specifics, but it was very much like even before you got back to school, you still had to be thinking about school, especially in high school. I had a lot of problems with classes, and every every year was a tradition that my counselor had to call me saying, "Hey, you know the classes that you picked back in March of last year? Yeah, you're not taking those. You're gonna have to pick entirely new classes because they've all." If with the scheduling, all of them are now at the same time, so you got to pick new classes. So <sighs> I at least had to start thinking about high school probably three, four weeks before we got back. But, yeah, I would imagine because it's longer, very much a longer break for college, I'll imagine it's going to be very difficult to come back. I mean, that's nice, though, is that we don't have to think about anything for school. Usually with other breaks, you kind of have to think a little bit, but with winter break, you, you really get a true break. I mean – yeah, I'm just not excited for the for the adult life when we don't get that month long break, especially that week between Christmas and New Year's. I know me and Ben Schoenfield were talking about it uh, before the break that that week between Christmas and New Year's. That's just there's nothing like it. Anyways, though, uh, we're going to get some Oregon football as well as some Oregon basketball and some Oregon baseball. Crazy to think that we're only oh, just over a month away from opening day. We just finished out the college football season. Congrats to Michigan on beating Washington. Uh, in the college football playoff on Monday. And now Oregon baseball and Oregon softball just over a month away from first pitch. But first, as you guys know, I'm going to be taking over the Wednesday show from now on. And I know every, every guy likes to have their own thing. I know Knight Uretsky does this question of the day. Austin Oda does something similar. What I want to do is I wanted to start a little of my own tradition and start the show with a Ducks trivia fun fact. So I didn't text you guys. I know usually sometimes I text it what I'm going to be doing at the beginning of the show. I didn't text you guys this time because I wanted to be a surprise. But every week I will start with some sort of duck trivia or fun fact that I got from online on a website or from someone who knows some crazy random fact about Oregon sports. Uh, but today's going to be pretty simple. Uh, ben, I think you should get this one because you said you are an Oregon football connoisseur. Um, but who is the winningest coach in Oregon football history? We're going we're gonna to stay with football just this one last time since we are talking about football right after this. Is it Rich Brooks? Is not Rich Brooks. Gavin, would you like to give a guess? Are you talking about total wins or are you talking about winning percentage? Total wins. Ooh, might be Bilotti. I don't know. You're right. Mike Bilotti. How about that? <laughs> if you didn't know that one, uh, Oregon fans out there, Mike Bilotti, the winningest head coach in Oregon football history, 116 wins during his 14 years as head coach. He took the Ducks to 12 bowl games in that 14-year span, and he also won the first-ever Ducks 
Uh, the first ever appearance the Ducks made in the Fiesta Bowl when they beat Colorado in 2002. Hey, but speaking of Fiesta Bowl, see, I know you like that transition right there. Speaking of the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon football won uh, the Fiesta Bowl last week, or sorry, two weeks ago. Uh, they closed out their season with a win over Liberty, 45-6 to over the undefeated Liberty. Ducks dominated in all areas of the game, 28 points in the second quarter, all touchdown passes from Bo Nix. We're going to break down the game real quick. Uh, but first, Bo Nix, obviously the final game as a Duck, and then college, it's a sad moment. He threw for 363 yards, five touchdowns, had an 80% completion rate, which put him over and led him to breaking the single-season completion percentage at 77.45%. Unbelievable quarterback. Other Oregon players that are highlighted who had a great game, Bucky Irving, also played in the game, had 117 yards for one touchdown. Jordan James, 63 yards. Tess Johnson had 172 receiving yards and a touchdown. Jeffrey Bossa, eight solo tackles and two quarterback hits. Even Ross James, too. The Ducks only punted one time. Ross James just had one punt, and he made he made it count, put it inside 20 yards. Just everyone played their best football, I think, of the year so far. Uh, Oregon finished with a record of 12-2 and in Dan Lang's second season, second bowl victory for Lanning, and second top 15 finish for Oregon. Just a bright future ahead. But, but what were you guys' thoughts overall with this uh, Liberty game? I mean, for me, I'm not going to s- – I figured, and I told my parents I was sitting down with them and watching the game, I had told them Liberty's going to get on the board quickly, and then we're not going to see a lot of them for the rest of – that's very much like the – what we've seen from Oregon a lot this year is it's the opposing team gets on the board quickly early, makes them – effectively wakes them up, and then all of a sudden they go on a run 35, 42, 49 straight points, or in Portland State's case, 81. And <laughs> we get to – that point where it's just like they are just running on all cylinders. They are firing on all cylinders. They are the most one of the most efficient teams that I've had the opportunity to watch in the 15-plus years that I've been watching college football at this point. So for me, if ever there was a game that you wanted to take from this season and say, explain the 2023 Oregon Ducks to me in one game, this is that game for me. This is the very much the they did everything that they did during the season in this game. This is a bite-sized chunk of what the season was like for me. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Just seeing Bo Nix go out that way. Uh, he was up and down very close to the single season record for like passing percentage. And he had to go in for one more drive just to make sure that he got that record. Uh, going out at 80% in his final game. I was a little frustrated that we had that Oregon played uh, the group of five team as the eight seed in the country. Like there could have been uh, Ole Miss playing or Penn State or anybody else, but it's just kind of weird that Oregon, in the middle of the non-college uh, football playoff teams, played the group of five team. But yeah, I mean there definitely was a lot of controversy around playing Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, especially because it was a New Year's Six Bowl, and there were a lot of better teams that. Oregon possibly could have played. You talk about Ole Miss, you talk about Ohio State, even Mizzou as well. Could have been all potential candidates in that Fiesta Bowl for Oregon, but they get paired up with Liberty. And, you know, Liberty was going to be a hard team to beat either way. They went undefeated into the season. They finished the year as number 23 ranked team in the top 25. And you look at that first drive in the first quarter because Oregon didn't really get settled in until the second quarter when they put up the 28 points. Liberty was the first to score. They had a big pass uh, from Hanshawn. Uh, from their quarterback, Caden Salter, and they looked pretty good. The offense was moving well. The defense was containing the Ducks a good amount. Uh, and then, obviously, the second quarter, Bo Nix just went off for four touchdown passes. 
But, you know, Liberty was going to be a strong opponent. And I, I think they were really undermined in this game. Even though Oregon did win this game by so much, I still think that Liberty was a good team. And had they played someone maybe more to their caliber, they possibly could have won that bowl. I mean, it's first off, if you're a college football fan at any point, none of the bowl matchups were good this year outside the college football playoff. None of them were good. You cannot be any of the. I watched all the games from the New Year's Six. I was happy with none of the matchups. Of course, it hurt personal for me as an Oregon fan that we were playing Liberty. But even with some of the matchups, the only good matchup on paper, it was Georgia-Florida State, and it ended up not being a good matchup because half of Florida State opted out. So for me, with this game with Liberty, Liberty was a good team. The question was because they're what we had seen them play and who we had seen them play was not good teams. The question would have been if you would put them up against a mid-tier Big 12 team or against a mid-tier Big 10 team, where do they actually stand? And I think that this team would have probably been probably top 40 in the country. And they looked good against Oregon, but at least in that first drive, I should say. But realistically for me, Oregon showed that they were a class above everybody else. They were effectively, they're in that mid-class of near six bowl, strong team, but not quite college football playoff team to me in this game. And Liberty, if they were a top 25 team, if they were a top 40 team, no one can really say because the Conference USA slate that they had to face this year was not very good at all. Yeah, and you also have to give credit to Oregon, too. I mean, you know, they were potentially going to be a top four team in the country. They they were just one of the best teams all around this year. And so when you go against a team like Oregon, you just don't know what's going to happen. You're going to get hit hard. Obviously, with a guy like Bo Nix and the offense that he has, you're going to get scored on a lot. Same thing with the defense. The defense did really well, too, even though they had a lot of guys opt out of that game. Uh, guys are going to be returning. We're going to talk about it right now. But it really was just, you know, obviously for Oregon fans, it was really painful the way the season ended against Washington. Everyone thought that Oregon was going to win the rematch in Vegas on a neutral site, a chance to go to the college football playoff. Obviously, Washington, they ended up making, but losing to Michigan. But Oregon just couldn't get it done. They lost 31-34. to The game was a pretty much back and forth. Some are even saying that the two games that Oregon played Washington are like top five games of the year. Like, they were that good. That's how, that's how fired up everyone was over this rivalry series. So, it was not the ending that Oregon fans wanted, but... I think this Liberty kind of put the season to bed in a right way. Bo Nix played his final game in Oregon. He went out with the with a win. Other guys who are going to be going to the draft, like Bucky Irving, they also played, ended their careers with a win. Same thing with Dan Lanning. He ended his second season with a bowl uh, game victory. And I just think it put a lot more Oregon fans' trust into going into next season, uh, you know, knowing that they ended off the season with a bowl victory. I would agree with that. I just looked up the stat to make sure I was correct. Oregon scored the most points out of any team this season overall by 27. Mm. They scored 619 total points in 14 games. LSU scored 592 in 13. But Oregon was second most in points per game and most in total points. They're the only team in the country to score 30 points in every single game of the season. Yeah, I mean, really, you just look at this team overall and just – all-out dominant. I mean, there were a few teams that you could say that for this year, obviously Michigan being one of them, but you couldn't really say that about Washington. You might have said that about Alabama towards the end when they started picking it up and were able to sneak in. Same thing with Texas, though. You know, Were they one of those teams? We're not exactly sure. I, I mean, mean, yeah, Washington was 7-0 in one-score games. Yeah. 
But the fact that they had seven one-score games just shows <laughs> that they're not actually all that dominant. They just had like the perseverance and effort through the end of games. Whereas I just don't think Oregon needed that all of the time of through the end of games, given that they even put Austin Novosad in at the end of the game uh, in their bowl game. Like it just shows that they had such a good team throughout the year. They just started off too slow against the best opponent that they played. Yeah, it really is upsetting because you would think, too, if Washington didn't play the caliber that they did, if they didn't have Michael Penix, if they didn't have Romo Dunze, where would the Ducks be right now? They would most likely be on top. They would be in that top four spot. There's so many what-ifs that we could just get into. We know we love what-ifs here at KWA. We talk about them all the time, uh, but we're going to have to wait until next season. But, uh, you know, moving on from then, now we're talking about next season. So much news happening in the transfer portal slash recruitment. Tons of guys returning. We'll start with the returners, but right now, for the returners, Noah Whittington, Tez Johnson, Treshawn Holden, Terrence Ferguson, Adrian Cornelius, Jeffrey Bossa, Jordan Birch, Justin Jacobs, and Taishim Johnson. All guys that played on this year's team that are set to return from next year. And it gets better, gentlemen. The transfer portal. Dylan Gabriel coming over from Oklahoma. He spent four seasons there as the quarterback for Oklahoma. Dante Moore, he was at UCLA this past year. Jay Harris, Matthew Bedford, Cam Alexander, Kobe Savage coming over from Kansas State, and Atakua Semington. I mean, you just look at this roster right now. There are insurmountable amounts of talent and experience that are going to be wearing green and yellow next year. We're still a long way from the beginning of the season, but I got to ask you guys, looking at the roster now, heading into, obviously we'll talk about more when the spring game comes around, but looking at the transfer portal and the guys that are returning right now, what what do you guys think of this team uh, going into next year? Now, I place a very, like, I am very hesitant to call any team a college football playoff team even halfway through the season. However, I will say, this is a top four team coming in. I'm usually also not that big of a fan of the transfer portal. That being said, when the transfer portal looks like that, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Um, <laughs> for me, with this team coming in, playing in a new conference, Washington's down a little bit. Michigan's down a little bit. They're probably going to end up as a net loss in terms of people going to the draft and graduating versus people coming in from the transfer portal and people coming in from recruiting. I'm looking at this and going, we're probably going to be either number one or number two at the beginning of the year looking at the Big Ten and probably top four in the polls, especially with the recent news coming out today that Nick Saban is retiring and will not be coaching at Alabama next year. I feel like this is a – there's so many positive things going for Oregon next year, and there's a lot of negative things going for a lot of the people who people – who analysts would mostly most of the time say would be above Oregon right now, that I would say that if this – there has never been a better window, I think, for Oregon to go to the college football playoff, make a run for it, possibly look at that national championship game. I'm very excited for next year. I'm definitely very excited for next year, given the fact that Oregon did get two very good, two of probably the top three quarterbacks in the transfer portal, uh, if not two that stayed in the top two that stayed in college. I think Cam Ward was probably the number one transfer I, that I can think of, but he went to the NFL draft. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think we feel. I think people feel a little better because he went to the NFL draft instead of to a team. He was supposed to go to Florida State, but that was DJ Uigalele. 
yeah. uh, who ended up going to Florida State. So. And then uh, it's just like Oregon got two of the top quarterbacks, and I'm still kind of surprised that uh, Dante Moore chose Oregon, knowing that he'd probably be the backup this year. Mm-hmm. But just they've got it pieces that they needed to fill all across the board and all of the people that have transferred out of Oregon very few of them got realistic playing time so in all honesty I am very happy with how the transfer portal has gone and I think that this Oregon team with the coaching staff that they have will just pick it right back up where they left off against a pretty big caliber like uh schedule that they have next year going to the Big Ten and playing both Ohio State and Michigan and Washington and I believe UCLA as well. But, like, I think they can just pick it right back up next year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you just keep looking at this roster of guys that are coming back next year, and it's all due to the coaching staff. I mean, Dan Landing, the environment he's created. You look at at the Liberty game, too. Not all those guys, Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, guys that were set to go to the NFL draft, they were risking it playing in that game. You know, obviously, you know, we were hoping that nothing had happened, that they were all going to stay healthy, but they didn't have to play in that game. They wanted to play in that game. They told the media saying, hey, we want to play one more game. We're in green and yellow. And that's the kind of environment that Dan Lanning is creating with this program. And now you look at this roster, pretty much everybody, there, there were multiple guys in these returners that were high draft picks. You look at Terrence Ferguson. You look at Jeffrey Bossa at Jordan Birch, guys that could have gone pretty high up on the draft boards, but no, they want to stay with the program for another year. They want to come back. They knew that they had a sour taste in their mouth from this year after the Washington loss. They want to come back and win, uh, have a chance to win a championship. And then obviously you look at the transfer portal too. Dylan Gabriel, he only has one year left. Guys who have one year left don't usually like going to uh, bigger schools because they want to make a bigger impact to improve the draft, the draft stock. He decides to come to Oregon. Because he knows there's so much potential at Oregon. Same thing with Dante Moore. He's only going to be a sophomore. So when Dylan, when Dylan Gabriel leaves, because he only has a year left, he's going to be the guy that takes over, and he knows the kind of program that Oregon is building right now. Same thing with the other guys. Kobe Savage, he's an upperclassman. He decided to come to Oregon. So, you know, it's really just the, uh, an incredible environment that Dan Lanning is creating overall. And, I mean, you talk about it, too, with, with Nick Saban uh, leaving earlier. It just opens the door for Oregon to be one of the most dominant teams in the country now. And even though they are moving to the Big Ten, the Pac-12, you know, there's different teams leaving. You look at the schedule now, and I mean, with the roster that they have now, Oregon, you know, they could pretty much play themselves to a national championship. Obviously, Ohio State might be an issue. Michigan might be an issue. We'll see how Washington plays out for next year. But you look at these other games, I mean, for Oregon, with the experience that they have, with you know the history that they had playing against high caliber teams, I definitely feel that it could be a season where they can be really successful and end up in the top four. No, and this is very much the um a lot the schedule is going to be very difficult next year. This is going to be a tougher. We had a very tough schedule this year. We are going to have probably the one of the worst schedules in the Big Ten next year. You're going to look at Michigan State's going to be coming up. You've got um. Oregon State's coach going there. That's going to be a program who wants some revenge on. He coach is going to want revenge, and then the program's going to want themselves to step up and try to beat a top caliber team. Of course, we've got Ohio State here. You've got Washington here. You've got Michigan in Ann Arbor. That's probably the game that I'm looking forward to the most. Of course, Ohio State in Eugene is going to be a great game. 
Austin's going to be rocking for that. But I am really excited to see the Ducks go on the road to Ann Arbor and try to fight that one out in the big house. But then you've got teams like Maryland who you're going to have to deal with. Of course, they're missing uh, Talia Tagovailoa, but they're still very much a strong competitor. And there's really no like, oh, well, we're probably going to beat that team automatically. There were some of the Arizona State this year was a game where it was like, okay, we're probably going to win this game and not really having to play at a high level. Whereas for this, every single game on the schedule is a game that I'd be going, well, I'm a little bit concerned about that. There's a chance that they might lose that game. So if they can go 11 and 1, 10 and 2 through this schedule, especially with the new 12 team playoff, I'm say there's a pretty high chance they can get this to the college football playoff this year. I definitely think that Oregon can. I think Oregon will be top 10, if not top 5. I definitely think that down the stretch, going to Michigan, and I think they'll already start preparing for Washington at that point because that's their last game of the season. But having Oregon State in their non-conference games just adds to the difficulty. Boise State's always a good group of five team. Idaho, I mean, they're playing a good FCS team, but those first two weeks should definitely be very easily winnable games. But that does not discredit those teams because we have seen very big upsets in the past against very top-tier teams. Uh, and in their 13-game schedule, I see them going 11-2, and 12-1, probably upsetting, in a sense, Ohio State and probably beating Washington just because Washington has kind of gone. I think they're going to get hit by the draft and uh, this season or this upcoming season like TCU did last year. Well, don't forget, too, it's only going to be 12 games. The Hawaii game, uh, which was originally scheduled as their first game of the year on August 24th, that's been uh, taken off their schedule. It's still on the schedule on the website, but it's reported that they're not going to be playing in Hawaii anymore, which was unfortunate because I would have liked a free trip to Hawaii for a week. I'm pretty sure most <laughs> of our leadership team here, we probably would have begged to go to Hawaii. So that kind of a bummer, uh, but Oregon's going to begin their season against Idaho uh, at Alton Stadium on August 31st. Uh, not sure of the time yet, but still a long way away, but also not really because we'll have the spring game here soon, and then summer will come when training camp starts, and then it'll be kickoff. It's so crazy how fast things come. Talking about next year, though, as we just have, uh, it's really funny to see every website saying that Dan Lanning is going to go to this school like they did with Texas A&M, like they're doing with Bama right now, and just like how he just shuts it down. He's like, Oregon is my home now. And all these websites are just trying to get clicks. But Yeah, it, it, today's definitely been an interesting day. Uh, obviously, I mean, <laughs> with, with everything that's been going on. I mean, the next day, but I did not expect that. To, I did not either. I did not expect that and, to, to get that in my Twitter feed today uh, for sure. But, you know, yeah, there's a lot of controversy going on right now. But if you're an Oregon fan out there, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen right now. But obviously with Dan Lanning, what he said earlier, that Oregon is going to be his home, you know, Things can change, obviously, but the hope is right now that Dan Landing will remain here in Eugene. Uh, but we're going to have to find out. It's, it's going to be a long way to the spring game. Well, things could look a lot different then, and we're definitely a long way away from the beginning of the season. Uh, but before we take a quick break, we're going to look at some uh, future products. We have a stacked class of soon-to-be products. Uh, projected first-rounders right now obviously include Bo Nix, Troy Franklin, and Jackson Powers Johnson. Other prospects include Brandon Dolores, Bucky Irving, Kyrie Jackson, 
Evan Williams, Dante Manning, and Jamal Hill, who just declared today as well. Also, Steve Stevens actually just declared uh, about an hour ago. He posted a Twitter. Congratulations to him. Uh, but who stands out from this list to, uh, in your prize? Gavins, we'll start you. Who, who stands out on this list? I mean, there are a lot of mock drafts. It's unclear. I think for Bo Nix especially, I think that he, from what I've been seeing from a lot of mock drafts that have been coming out, he's either going to go to the Broncos in the first round or somebody's going to pick him up as a backup in the second. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy Franklin stands out to me as the one player that I've seen on pretty much every single first round mock draft. Jackson Powers Johnson's been up and down, but Troy Franklin for me is that X factor player that you're looking for. I think Bonix, the thing about Bonix is depending, he will be an interesting quarterback depending on which team he gets drafted by and what their quarterback situation is. I wouldn't necessarily look for him as a start on day one type player like a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young was last year or like a Caleb Williams would be this year. But Troy Franklin, I would absolutely be looking at as like a fourth, fourth down the death chart, looking to maybe get him up halfway through the season, get him some touches and then, next year have him as a full starter so that for me that's where I want to look if I'm looking for a strong offensive player especially further down that draft board when you get into start start getting into picks 20 through 30 for those playoff teams they might get a real steal down there of course if you think about it the Eagles picked up Devonta Smith the Heisman winner at I think pick 13 so a lot of times you can see these really elite wide receivers drop down a little bit into those later picks in the first round and I think whoever's going to pick him up is going to be great Ben, what about you? Any uh, any sleeper picks or anything when you're looking at this uh, potential list of uh, future products? I definitely think that Troy Franklin, as you guys were saying, is probably the key factor. In my opinion, the fact that he was kept off the Bolitnikoff finalist award was just kind of crazy to me because he had better stats than both Romo Dunze and Marvin Harrison. Harrison. So I think people are sleeping on him just because – as people talk about Bo Nix as quote unquote a system quarterback, like they'll just put Troy Franklin because he had Bo Nix in the system when they don't do that for Romo Dunze. Mm-hmm. When that was a very highly passing system, they didn't get a run game until the USC game. So I think he's being slept on. And if somebody picks him up late in the draft, like, I mean, if the Ravens get him in like pick 28 through 32, wherever they land, that would just be ridiculous. And adding to the depth of that team with Zay Flowers and Lamar Jackson, I think that would just be a really great pickup. Yeah, I definitely Troy Franklin is one of the sleeper picks too. Same thing with Brandon Dolores and even a guy like Kyrie Jackson. Uh, he had an amazing season. He really did a lot from the Ducks for coming over from Alabama. A lot of experience, and I definitely think that he could be another guy that could be really impactful for an NFL team. With Bo Nix, you know, it's hard to tell right now because he just makes this year so much harder on NFL GMs because he's, you know, he's one of the most experienced guys going into this draft. Well, he is the most experienced guy going into this draft. He's the oldest quarterback going to be a draft prospect this year. You know, it's tough to say where he's going to end up, but, you know, I I still would like to think of him as a first-rounder, if not possibly second-rounder pick uh, for whatever team picks him up. Yeah, uh, he's the most experienced just because he hasn't had many injuries. Like... Yeah, I mean, Michael Penix is 24. They'll both be 24 at the start of the next season, but Michael Penix is already 24. So the fact that, I mean, Bo Nix started in the SEC as a freshman, played there for three years, didn't have any redshirt years, didn't have any this and that season-ending injuries. And, like, so he has experience because he was able to do so well. And, like, because he just kind of kept going in a sense. But I think he could definitely fall to a later team, like fringe 
playoff team right now and really boost them either as a day one starter or a backup that could come in later if the quarterback isn't doing the best. Yeah, 100%. Real quick before we take a break here, uh, all mock drafts aside, because obviously, you know, everyone's saying different things right now. In your guys' own opinion, I'll ask one of you, uh, just name out the guy without even thinking about it. Which duck do you think will pick will, will be picked first in this year's draft? I'll go ahead and say Troy Franklin. I was going to say the same. I just think people bash Bo Nix too much uh, and talk about his age when, yes, he's 23. But, again, most the top three quarterbacks, right, or three of the top five quarterbacks right now are 23 or 24. A lot of quarterbacks this year as well. So it'll really come down to where GMs are feeling and which teams are looking for that, either that day one starter or that backup quarterback. The thing about Bo Nix for me is he could slip a lot further, but Troy Franklin is a pretty solid pick there. Yeah, I agree. Troy Franklin's definitely going to be a good pick for any NFL team, but I think Jackson Power Johnson is definitely going to be the first guy to go off the board. A lot of NFL teams right now, they need a good center. They need a good captain uh, on the front lines, winning at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he won best center in the country, so I definitely think that puts him as one of the top guys. You know, I, I still think that Troy Franklin could go ahead of him, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jackson Powers goes in the first round. Uh, but we're going to have to wait and find out. Only a couple months away, April 25th is when the NFL draft starts, and I'm sure Oregon fans are going to be tuning in for those uh, three days to see which pro ducks uh, and where they end up going and what teams are going to be picked on. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk some Oregon men's basketball. They're on a roll right now, winning four consecutive conference games. And Oregon baseball, their season, a little over a month away. We'll have a bet when we come back on KWA 88.1 FM. KWVA. KWVA. I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. Let's get back to the best show in Eugene, Quacksmack. Welcome back to Quacksmack here on 88.1. Gavin Carpenter, Ben Schoenfield, and I am your host, Saul Galvan. We just talked about some Oregon football, and now we're going to get into some Oregon basketball. The men's team, undefeated in conference play so far. Boy, they have been on a roll. They have won eight of their last nine games since the Emerald Coast Classic. 
including four consecutive victories while we were on break. Man, they were doing they were doing so good, and we weren't here to talk about it. But now we're here to talk about it. Uh, the underclassmen have really stepped up. Jackson Shellstad, he has really gone into the spotlight, as well as Brendan Rigsby. Uh, just an unbelievable month for this team. You look, it started against USC. They won. They beat USC 82-74. Then they beat UCLA just a couple days later. Then they head up to Washington and Washington State. They take two out of two there. And you look at this team right now, you wouldn't expect this team to be on a roll that they are, especially with the injuries that they have, they've dealt with. I mean, this is one of those situations where the injuries occurred, everybody counted them out, and then all of a sudden things just started clicking. This is why Dana Altman's such a great coach, is that he can make things start clicking even when it doesn't look like the team should be able to put up that performance. And one of the things that's been majorly contributing to that is the guard play and the offensive play from the guards, because the defense hasn't been stellar through a lot of games. The only game where they've held uh, the opposing team under 60 points since uh, Syracuse December 17th would have been UCLA, and that's UCLA style of basketball. They're a very plodding, very slow-paced style of basketball half-court. So their offensive performance has really been the key to this. Jackson Selstad, of course, sticking out because they don't have those centers, so you've got to have those guards step up. Cario Quendo, big player in my book. I don't know why he doesn't get more minutes. I'd love to see him on the court more. But all in all, they've been well exceeding expectations. They just got a couple of uh, AP Top 25 votes, which is unheard of considering the fact that they do not have an active big right now. Yes. I definitely have been surprised with the start of the season. Just looking when they lost to uh, – who they lose to earlier? Santa Clara? Yeah. I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> that was just my first thought of – I mean, they – I get losing to Alabama. Alabama's a pretty good team. They were ranked in the top 25 at that point. But losing to – I mean, both the men's and women's lost to Santa Clara within a week of each other. Yeah, Santa Clara's really been in Oregon's head. Yeah. You know, so I was – This whole year, like, <laughs> on both sides. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. And then, like, after hearing the news that Nate Biddle's not coming back this season. Is that, is that true? Yeah, they reevaluated him, like, over break, and they're like – it doesn't look like he's coming back. Mm. But, I mean, these three freshmen look like they belong to this team. Like, I hate to say it, but last year, Cleo uh, Ware was, just didn't seem to fit into the system that Oregon played. And it feels like Mookie Cook, even in his first game or two back, Jackson Shellstad and Kwame Evans all belong here and really fit into the system. And getting the... Th- two or three transfers that they got really helped this team kind of round the edges that were very sharp last year. Yeah, I mean, it's really been so interesting on a national on the national scale to see these guys step up because we knew that guys like Jason Selstad and Mookie Cook, they were going to be just huge players for Oregon, but nobody knew that they were going to be this impactful this soon. I mean, obviously – Oregon, they started the season off well. They won four straight games, and then they went out to the Emerald Classic, and they lost two straight. Nobody knew what direction this team was heading, and then obviously in Folly Dante and Nate Biddle, they went out with injuries, and pretty much ever, everyone was just like, oh, this is it. The season's pretty much over. That's not the case. They beat Michigan. They beat Cal Baptist. They lost to Syracuse. It was a tough game there, and then they just go on this unbelievable streak against USC, UCLA, Washington, Washington State. They're not ranked, but we know that the Pac-12 has strong teams especially USC and UCLA. They always play tough basketball, just like Gavin said. And even though the defense has not been there, the scoring has just been really good. It's really kind of contributed uh, 
more than them not having defense, and that's the reason that they're winning these games. It's a little close for comfort, but obviously when you don't have a big, it's tough to play defense. And that'll be the big thing when Infalli Dante comes back, is making sure, A, that they can still play in this style. Because when my concern is when Infalli Dante comes back is the question is, are they going to switch their style back to where they were? Are they going to start playing more forward-heavy? Are they going to start utilizing him more for scoring and take away some of those shooting opportunities from the guards who have been doing so well? But at that point, with Biddle being out, he's not going to get, obviously, Dante's going to get more minutes. Kwame Evans will still get more minutes because they're still going to want that forward in. I don't think that this style is going to change back to a Dante-heavy offense so much as it is Dante helping out the guard-heavy offense that we already have. And I feel like right there, that's going to be the key to, okay, well, they're still maintaining the same level of offensive production, but now they've got a big threat that you have to deal with down low, and their defense is much more solid in the paint. And that's going to change this team from, oh, yeah, they're eking out close wins against pretty much everybody, to all of a sudden, oh, yeah, no, that record's not for show. They actually are that good. You know, it's crazy. I was just about to ask, how was Dante? How are Dante and Bill going to adjust this group when they return? It's like you read my mind. That's so crazy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, to me, it's going to be pretty interesting to see when uh, Dante returns. I mean, obviously, Ben just told us that Biddle most likely won't be back for the season, which is a huge loss for this Oregon team because he was that other guy that Oregon would put in when Dante wasn't completely healthy. Those guys pretty much play complementary basketball, even though they were they are the same position. You can put them both in the lineup, and they play pretty well together. But with Dante coming back, I mean, he was the leading scorer for Oregon before he went out, and same thing with last year, too. So it really is going to be interesting to see if Dana Altman adjusts his offense when Dante comes back or if he's going to keep it heavy and just try to get Dante in the mix somehow and have him just go back to his regular role of just being a center who boxes out and just plays defense. I think that would help him come back from the injuries, not have to be that athletic and that all over the court. And Oregon has this system in place that Kwame Evans could be that four that does all that movement in the offense. And I just looked it up, and uh, Infali Dante uh, played in the scrimmage that they had today. Yeah, there's been video. Minutes. There's been video of him that he's yeah. returned to practice. He, you know, he's looking good so, so far. So, and uh, they're saying that he never actually got out of shape. He was always on like the underwater treadmill or things like that to make sure that he had the best chance of returning this season, especially in his last season of play, because he is a senior this year. I think he already did redshirt, so. It's just, I am hopeful for his return, and I think he is a key piece for this Oregon team, and I think he will fit right in with some leadership on the court as well as just an extra presence inside because Oregon, they do have uh, Diawara on the inside, but mm. he just, he this is his first year here. I don't know how much of a presence he has in this actual Oregon team outside of playing, but they have a very young offense overall besides Jermaine Cuisnard in the starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see when Dante comes back because, you know, they've just been playing so well right now. And sometimes when teams are playing this well, you don't really want to mess with it. But obviously, Oregon is not just going to put Dante on the bench. He's such an effective playmaker. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, maybe him not being so effective down low in the paint with the offense may have him come back sooner. I mean, right now he's projected to come back towards the end of January. He could be back for the Cal game. Dana Allman hasn't given a, an update on him yet. It's only in three days. But, you know, realistically, his, his arrival date is going to come sooner and sooner. And, you know, it's going to be key to see where the Ducks are at that point and how they're going to use 
uh, Dante when he comes back. Also, going back to uh, Jackson Shellstead, he has just really stepped up. He has definitely gone into the national spotlight. He's averaging 18 points right now in conference play, put up 20 against UCLA, 21 against USC. His playmaking has really improved. He's sharing the ball really well. You know, I asked this when we started the segment. Ducks fans knew he was going to make an impact, but did you guys think that he was going to make an impact this soon? I did not, especially I didn't think that he was going to have the confidence that he had coming into it. Like, he w- he seems like he's confident without being cocky, and that just showed in the Michigan game when they gave him the ball with three seconds left in overtime to hit a 30-foot game winner. Like, you don't normally do that with a freshman. Yeah. He just hit some deep three twos. Like, obviously, the, the Michigan one's iconic, but if yes. you watch his games, like, he hits like, them from... He does, and like as I just said, he's confident without being cocky, and he shows that he can put in the work and has the efficiency and has the I won't give up mindset. And like he will shoot himself into a slump and out of a slump, and the out of the slump is more impactful because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I should just stop shooting. He's not like that. <laughs> yeah. He goes on these incredible runs where there'll be a point like he shot like two in a row and then you see him pull up from like 33 feet and you're just like, that's going in before the ball's even left his hands. And that's the kind of magic. And when he does that, the next time, everybody listening, I want you to look in that man's eyes after when he goes on one of these runs. There is no cockiness. There's no like arrogance. There's none of that. That is just pure focus in his eyes when he's going on that. That's the attitude that I love to see from a point guard both from a shooting perspective and from a passing perspective, because even while he's on these runs, he does still look to pass the ball a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Duck fan, it just gives you so much hope for the future because he's only a freshman. You know, he just he's already making such a big impact, and he has that leadership where he could be the guy in the locker room. Obviously, you know, Dante, he'll probably be in the league next year. We're not sure where Bill's going to be at, but if Shellstead has to kind of step into that spotlight and be the leader for this team, he definitely could because he's he has the the athleticism. He has the leadership right now. He has the he's going to have the experience after this season uh, to be in that role. And I mean, you know, we we say it with football, but the same thing with basketball. There's just a lot to look for with the future with this Oregon men's basketball team. You know, looking ahead at the schedule, they got Cal at home this Saturday. That's going to be another p- uh, key game to keep up their conference uh, win streak. And they hit the road against Colorado and Utah. And then they have a tough stretch towards the end of the month. Arizona, U- USC, and UCLA. Arizona obviously going to be the toughest one of that. They beat Arizona last year in their last matchup. We, you know, you guys remember that game. I think every Oregon fan remembers that game. Uh, the Enfali Dante dunk uh, just put an absolute statement on there. Were you guys there? Did they rush the court? I I, I was not there, but the fact that Enfali Dante Enfali Dante started the game like that. The score was four two when he stole the ball at half court, took two dribbles, and slammed it on their head. <laughs> like. <laughs> I think at that point, I knew that game was a wrap. Just the crowd was so into it, and the Ducks just wanted that game so badly just to kind of cap off a mediocre season on a good note. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, 100% agree. I think it's – yeah, I mean, the, the energy in the stadium has just been a lot better uh, compared to last year. I think a lot more fans are into this team. They know the success of it. And, you know, with that Arizona game, it's going to be here in Eugene. It's going to be at Matthew Knight. I'm sure that place is going to be rocking that day. You know, in my opinion, that's going to be the toughest game in this upcoming stretch for them. But, I mean, what about you guys? Do you guys see any games outside of Arizona that stand out? 
I like that U, uh, USC-UCLA road stretch there. I think that's going to be a very interesting game. Both of those two teams, very different styles, but also very difficult styles to play into coming off of that Arizona game. If there's if they lose that Arizona game, which right now they are projected to, who knows what the way this team's been playing. They could probably beat anybody in the country, depending on what day it is. Um, if they come off a loss of that Arizona game and have to go on that road stretch, very difficult road stretch, that'll be a very interesting litmus test to see, okay, can they sustain this? It's been magical, really, watching this team over the last few weeks. But is that magic going to actually stick around? Is that magic? Or is that actually this is how good this team is and this is how good this team will be all the way into February and March? Yeah, I agree. I think this Arizona game is definitely going to be uh, just a big test for this team. It's going to see if this is a team that's real and has the capability of ultimately winning the pack or if you know they're just on a hot streak right now. I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to take another short break here. When we come back, we're going to talk some Oregon baseball. Opening day just over a month away. Really excited for it here. Keep it here on 88.1 for Quack Smack. Come to the side that the things that I tried were in my life is to get KWVA. KWVA. For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. Too tired. Family trip. Sick day. Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. There are nearly 20 million refugees worldwide fleeing terror, war, violence, and political and religious persecution. Refugees admitted to permanently resettle in the U.S. have been passed through multiple levels of rigorous screening and security clearance. They want what we all want, peace, security, and freedom from fear. Refugees are survivors, families, and no different from us. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! Welcome back to Quack Smack here on 88.1. Saul Gavon, Gavin Carpenter, and Ben Schoenfield. We just talked about some Oregon men's basketball as well as some Oregon football. And ladies and gentlemen, I know we are in January, but we're talking about some Oregon baseball. Let's get hyped, ladies and gentlemen. Ben, you have your mic off right now. Are you, are you hyped? Are you? <laughs> I am hyped. I was just making sure that you weren't peeking too much. Okay, good. I was about to say, I don't want the listeners out there to just be blown away when they're listening to this in their cars. I don't want the, the eardrums to fall out. I want them to be able to listen to this next segment of baseball. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think. I mean, we just finished up the college football season. We're in the midst of basketball season and now we're just over a month away 
from baseball and softball starting off. But we're going to talk about baseball right now. Friday, February 16th is when the Ducks are going to start their season. They're actually going to be in Texas this year. The first time, I don't even know the last time they were in a tournament. Uh, but they're going to be starting at the Shriner Children's College Showcase Showdown uh, in Arlington, Texas. They're going to play Oklahoma on Friday, Baylor on Saturday, and Texas Tech on Sunday. Gentlemen, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, baseball season wasn't too long ago, and now we're so close. And now the Ducks are going to start in Texas. I mean, when you look at this, the first three games, I mean, what stands out to you guys? I mean... For me, these are not the most difficult games in the world, at least if you're looking at how these teams were last year. Of course, Texas Texas Tech a little bit better than Oklahoma and Baylor, who were both, I believe, 7th and ninth in the Big 12 last year. But for me, this is an early test, and this will be a theme for a lot of this year, which is going to be road games are going to be very important. So this will be a strong test to start out early and show that they can win games on the road no matter what, no matter where they are, and no matter the teams that they're going to have to play. Yeah, definitely. I think it's good to open up the season with a power fr- uh, a power five team, even if, as Gavin said, they're not like top three in their conference. But like last year, opening up against uh, Xavier, I just don't think instilled a lot of what they needed to go into conference play last year. But getting these three games and hopefully on the right foot. Uh, I think they can go into the season and just carry into this season what they were able to accomplish late in last season. But I'm looking a little bit later on, and they have five straight games in Phoenix. Yeah. They play Grand Canyon Tuesday, Wednesday, and Arizona State Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So they get one day off in that week, all in Phoenix. So, but, I mean, can you complain, though? I mean, they're going to be in Phoenix while we're here in Eugene, and it's still freezing cold. But it's Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think that these three first three games uh, in Texas are going to be a real uh, – they're going to be a good starting point for this Duck team. I think when you look at last year, too, they started against Xavier and UC Santa Barbara, which ended up being two pretty good teams to start their season off with, but they weren't really on the same level as Oregon. You know, obviously, as we saw them, they were able to make it all the way – um, to the Super Regional. Obviously, they lost to Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts went on to the College World Series, but the Ducks were so close. And I think knowing where they left off last season, obviously there were a lot of guys that ended up leaving for the draft. You talk about Riku Nishida, Sabine Ceballos, uh, Drew Cowley. You know, there's, the list just goes on and on. There were so many guys that ended up uh, declaring for the MLB draft or just ended up going uh, moving on from Oregon. But there's still just so much with this team that – you know, they could easily be right back where they are. They can easily be a top 25 team. And these three games could be a chance for them to, to kind of prove themselves to everyone else that they're still going to be uh, a top 25 team. Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech, you know, they're not, you know, they're not the Tennessee. They're not the Vanderbilt, but they are still power, power five schools. And I think that it could be a real challenge for Oregon if they don't get ahead early. And like I said, if they're able to win these three games, I mean, they come back, um, you know, they come back to Eugene to play a four-game series against Lafayette. And then they're on the road. They're on the road for the three of the first four series, uh, which compared to last year, they played the first four series at home. They spent pretty much a month at home before they went on the road. And they, you know, they were obviously on a good winning streak. They got swept by UC Santa Barbara. Uh, and then they beat UCLA, or they lost the series to UCLA, but they were able to sweep San Diego and they were able to sweep Xavier. So the schedule definitely looks a lot different, but, when you look at this team where it's at right now with all the guys that are coming back, you really have to have a lot of confidence in this Oregon baseball team coming up the season. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And it's the road is going to be very tricky for them because, you, like you said, three of their first four at home, or three of those first four at the road. You've got the uh, showdown in Arlington, Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech. All of those teams very close to that tournament, we are not. Then you look, okay, who are their three main opponents in the Pac-12 at the top of that standings from last year? You've got Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington. Ten games against those three teams this year, only one of them, is in Eugene. That's one of the of the four against Oregon State. Three in Corvallis, three in Seattle, three in Stanford. Not going to be a fun time on the road, but they've got to make the most of those road games if they want to go far in the conference this year. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult schedule. Uh, they Their first 10 days of March are on the road. Uh, the first, second, third, fifth, sixth, eighth, ninth, tenth all have games on the road, and then they come back to Eugene for the rest of March they are here from the 12th through March 30th and then go up to Portland on the 2nd and then they don't have and then they have one time in Los Angeles and then come back for another two weeks so I, I'm glad that they have a lot of home games to start the season even though like as I said they play eight games on the road at the beginning of March. But to have a lot of home games then go into the Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington later in the season, I think they can build up some confidence against some of the, in a sense, lesser Pac-12 teams, even though the Pac-12 is a really good conference overall. I think just gaining some confidence will really help with going into those tough tournaments yeah i agree i definitely think the schedule kind of favors oregon and you know having the first couple weeks being some challenges but being some easier wins that you know they could get a lot of confidence going into the series against arizona state obviously the cal you know we're gonna see how cal looks arizona they were a pretty tough opponent um last year for oregon they placed them on the road they're gonna have them in eugene this year and then you start looking at ucla and usc obviously ucla they came in and won the series last year in Eugene, USC, they didn't play them last year, but they're also going to be playing in Eugene as well. And then obviously you have Stanford and Oregon State, which obviously Oregon State's always going to be a big series. You know that they're a top team in the country. They did really well last year, um, you know, even though the Ducks were doing similarly well. Uh, and then obviously Washington and Washington State to end off the season. So uh, it's going to be a long season for sure for the Ducks. But when you look at the schedule right now, and then, you know, now we're going to take a look at the roster. So many guys left, obviously. A lot of experienced guys, guys who transferred in last year. Like I said, Nishida, Ceballos. Um, um, just so many guys, really, overall, that left this team. But they also have a lot of guys from last year that are staying. Look at guys like Bennett Thompson, Drew Smith, Logan Mercado, Matthew Grabman, Isaac Aon. He was out last year. He redshirted. He tore his, uh, um, what was it, rotator cuff, I think? I think it was his rotator cuff. His I don't rotator. think it was UC. I don't think it was uh, Tommy John. But he was com he, but he's coming back though. He was in this year's MLB draft. He said he wanted to stay around for one more year. You know, it's a pretty it's going to be a pretty young team overall. But the experience that they have with their uh, upperclassmen is going to be really key in these games. But I mean, you know, looking at the roster is right now. You know what what is like what are one or two guys that stand out to you so far? It was definitely as I said, Isaac Aon coming back, and then uh, I'm excited for uh, Bryce Betcher maybe to have a bigger role in this team. He seemed last year to come in in later innings and later in the season when, just to give uh, some people some rest. But I think he proved that he can be a very reliable piece. He might not be the hardest hitter or like the biggest player, uh, 
like to step up in the big moments, but he's definitely reliable and can get you on base. Hundred percent. And I was about to say Bryce Betcher, he is almost he's 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 not a quite a full glue guy here, but he's very much that support role. And I'd like to see him with a bigger role, not necessarily as a star on this team, but making sure that everybody else feels supported, making sure that he's got that starting role and he's able to be a consistent part of this lineup. I'll be very excited to see what he can do this year. Yeah, for me, it's going to be the rotation. Obviously, last year, um, you know, they had a pretty solid rotation with Logan Mercano as the Saturday guy, uh, you know, but now it's going to be finding that that third guy, really, Terrence Fulgeric and Leo Ullman, guys that were kind of rotated into that number three pitcher spot last year. They're also going to be uh, returning for the season. Jackson Pace, he started in a couple games last year. I think that's really going to be key for this team is finding that third starter as soon as they can because in the beginning of the year, they really struggled to find that third that third game starter. You know, it was always, you know, they would win on Friday. Logan Mercado would get him into the deeper innings in the second game. And the third game, it would just be a struggle for the starter to either get out of the first inning or the first couple of innings. So really, I think the difference maker this year for the Ducks, especially when they start the conference play against Arizona, against UCLA, is going to be that game three starter. I mean, right now, I would love to see, uh, you know, possibly... Charles Spoljeric, I think he had the most experience and the most, uh, you know, poise out of anyone out of any rookie pitcher last year. Uh, but we we could see, you know, Jackson Pace. He also has a really nice, you know, um, sequence of pitches. Leo Yulman, he's a young guy as well. He has a lot of experience, so it's going to be really interesting to see how this rotation ends up uh, and to see, you know, who is going to who are going to be the three guys that are coming in because we know Isaac Aon, the stuff that he did uh, the year before that he tore his rotator cuff, and then obviously Logan Mercado is a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, no, 100%. You've got to shore up that rotation and make sure that you're not losing these games on pitching because you're not going to lose them on hitting for the most part. This team is not one of those teams that just goes and peters out one, two, three runs in a series per game. You have to make sure that that pitching has gone down. You have to make sure that your pitching is almost as good on day three as it is on day one in these series, and you have to make sure that that gets locked down. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Oregon's going to miss Jay Stoffel though, as the fr- – game one starter uh, uh, without a doubt like he was probably the piece that kept the spark of this Oregon team going as long as they did I mean in the game against Oregon State when he almost threw a no hitter yeah yeah and were you here when uh the famous uh Logan Thompson I was hosting yeah that was Friday night spotlight I was with Ryan Milano our former sports <laughs> director in in the the booth and uh, at the Oregon versus Oregon State game and we were pretty mad, you know, but hey, I mean, he threw a great game and it was a great game overall. I mean, obviously it was a rocking environment. I mean, you know, to go nine innings against Oregon State, I mean, that's really impressive, uh, even if he didn't get the no hitter. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Stoffel being gone is definitely going to raise a lot of questions, but I think Isaac Aon with the dominance he has, the army has yes. coming back, he's going to be, you know, obviously he's coming off an injury season, but if he does good, you know, obviously there's reports that, you know, he's been doing good in fall ball. And if he could just get, you know, into a good start, assuming that he's going to be the open day starter over in Texas, I think he could be really dominant as the number one guy for pitcher. And then obviously Logan Mercado can be that steady number two guy, that Saturday guy. And the key for Mark Wazikowski and this team will be who is going to be the Sunday starter. We're going to find out. All right. That's going to do it for us today. I have been your host, Saul Galvan, alongside Gavin Carpenter and Ben Schofield. Gentlemen, it has been a great show. Welcome back, by the way. I don't know if I said that at the beginning of the show. Welcome back, KWVA. Uh, tune in tomorrow for the director's show. Knight Yuretsky, Austin Oda, and Levi Berthgold will be there for that one. But for that, we're going to say goodnight here from 88.1.